Hello and welcome. My name's Ben. I'm the CEO of Charlie HR, and this is the Culture Ops Podcast. We're the podcast that's trying to lift the lid on the challenging situations that affect your business and your culture on a daily basis. Let's get into it. Welcome back to another episode of the Culture Ops Podcast. As ever, we're aiming to explore the people, processes, and policies that make up our organizations and how all of those things impact our cultures. One of the areas that we've looked at in a lot of depth over the last few months is the idea that all organizations need to consider the emotional well-being of their team. And I think COVID-19, I think lockdown has really pushed all of us to look at those areas in in greater depth, with greater intensity, and make sure we've got the right policies and processes to back that up. But so far, we've looked at that from an organization's perspective. And this week, I want to look at it from the perspective of a team member. And specifically, how do we bring our emotions to the workplace? And so joining me today is Carolyn Stransky, software developer based in Berlin. How are you, Carolyn? I'm good. How are you? Yeah, I'm um I'm actually really well. I during this whole experience, whenever anyone asks me how 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 am I, I I preface it by saying actually, like I'm actually okay because I guess the expectation yeah. is maybe maybe you're not going to be, but as the weeks go on, I'm feeling more optimistic, more confident and and a bit happier inside. What what about you? That's nice. I'm trying to figure out through this whole pandemic, how to be a little bit nicer to myself. So I still kind of struggle with that part of it because I think for me, like lockdown specifically has been difficult, but my situation hasn't changed. I worked fully remote before this, you know, I don't have children, so I don't have that kind of distraction, but it's still difficult. And so I'm trying to be a little nicer to myself and be like, it's okay that things are difficult, even if my day-to-day life maybe doesn't look super different. Mm, I like that. That sounds, that feels really nice. It feels really good. What, um, what have been the most difficult parts? Of this experience? I think mm. trying to, I mean, a lot of it has to do with work. I mean, trying to keep up with work, trying to still be a, you know, quote unquote, good, productive employee when really, you know, there's so many other things going on. I find myself back in March, more specifically, like I found myself watching press conferences instead of instead of doing any sort of meaningful work. I just spent days of reading the news doing that. And I think as every month goes by, I'm a little better about being able to balance, you know, staying informed while also contributing to my role in an organization. But it causes me a lot of stress and I think, you know, it lends well to this conversation in that sense. <laughs> yeah, for sure. And look, I, I appreciate you being being honest and open. I read um, a really interesting article this morning in Harvest, Harvard Business Review, which was talking about, and I'm sure you've seen this on Twitter as well, um, because actually that's how we, we stumbled um, across each other, is this idea that lots of CEOs and founders are talking about these productivity gains that they're seeing. Mm-hmm. And what they're not saying is maybe these productivity gains are because actually 
in a very real way, people are pretty anxious about the security of their roles and their jobs, right? They're seeing yes. friends being furloughed, people being fired, these amazing businesses like an Airbnb, a LinkedIn, um, making big, big redundancies. And, and so maybe that productivity actually isn't because of the working situation has changed. Maybe that productivity is because people are a bit scared. Absolutely. I also think, you know, everyone deals with stress and anxiety in their own way. So for example, I have colleagues who, you know, pour themselves into work as a way to kind of distract from everything else going on. So they spend, especially now that, you know, our time outside is limited, they are working so much more. And for someone like me, who, as I just described, kind of does the opposite. I'm a bit of like an escapist. I just kind of like see what's going on and like not deal with my like day-to-day life. It's directly conflicting. So I always feel really anxious about keeping up with my other colleagues instead of recognizing like, oh, we all have different ways of coping. I should still just work the hours that I am paid to, basically. <laughs> yeah, I think you're right. I think you're, I think you're completely, I think you're completely right. So mm-hmm. let's, um, let's dive into this. Yeah. And I, you know, the reason why we're talking about this, this subject and the title of this episode is why being not okay is okay in the workplace. I guess I want to understand, and I think it's useful for our listeners. You know, why is this a subject and an area that you are really passionate about? Of course. So I would be lying if I said it wasn't personal. It's absolutely personal. Uh, It started actually with my physical well-being at work. So I went from, you know, being a student and being an athlete and always moving around. And then before I was a developer, I was a journalist. So while that does include sitting and writing, a lot of it is kind of moving around talking to people, always kind of being on the go and becoming a developer and realizing just sitting at my desk for eight hours a day straight, I realized there was a lot of like physical ramifications on my body. So I started researching that. And then as I got, it kind of rabbit holed from there into, you know, oh, it doesn't being at work and, or, you know, being online, being whatever doesn't just affect your physical health for that time. It also, you know, you bring your mental health to work, you bring your spiritual health, any sort of aspect of well-being. You know, well-being is kind of this all-encompassing idea. And yeah, I just became really interested in that and realizing that we, you know, as people in technology specifically, and maybe people, I work a lot in the startup scene, it's not really a focus. So I don't know, mm. I, want, I want it to be. So, <laughs> so let's, u- let's use that. Why, yeah. why is it not a focus? Uh, I mean, I think a lot of it is, you know, especially in startups, there's always this kind of timeline. There is, you know, the company's bottom line. There is always something kind of like bigger and grander than yourself that you're supposed to be concerned with. And there's especially in, I've noticed in technology and startups particularly, there's a lot of emphasis on loyalty to products and this kind of, you know, you should be working as hard as you can. And not only 
to be successful in tech, it's not only working during your regulated eight hours a day or however many hours are in your contract. It's also, you know, learning on the side. It's also giving conference talks, doing these things. Everything kind of compiles on each other. And it's like, if you're not being productive in a sort of meaningful career way, you're wasting your time. And I... That's just, I don't know, that's what I faced is the mentality behind it. And I think it's hard to go against that if you, even if you do feel differently. It's super interesting, isn't it? It's, and I think your comment about timeline is, is really interesting. And I've, I've, been, I've become really obsessed with Simon Sinek's new book called The Infinite Game. And, and he talks about this, this sort of, different way of approaching business and and one way is as a finite game on a timeline it's a battle it's a war we have a competitor we've got to get to here by this point otherwise it's over and the other perspective is i'm really passionate about the problem i'm solving and if it takes me 10 years or 20 years i just want to keep solving it and you know i'm not saying all these businesses are perfect but you know i I look to companies like a Patagonia who are driven by something that is bigger than just what just the t-shirts that they're making on a daily basis that feels infinite and that doesn't feel about a milestone or a funding round or an acquisition. Absolutely. I think I mean I think that's part of the, you know, downside of startups is there is this kind of you know, there's always the next goal. There's always the next funding round. We always talk about things in terms of like, okay, now that we have seed funding, when are we going to get our series A? When are we going to get our series B? Like, what do we need to do to achieve that? And it's kind of this like every week is precious mentality, which doesn't leave a lot of time to cope with, you know, something like a global pandemic or something even like you know, hard times in your personal life or something going on with you or even just having a bad day. I don't know. I show up to work sometimes and I'm just sad. Yeah. And this kind of mentality doesn't really, like, doesn't leave a place for that. Mm. Yeah, very profound. And, and, you're, and you're right. You know, no one, no one wakes up every day feeling 10 out of 10. It's impossible. It doesn't exist. Yet there is a almost a requirement to turn up and give 110% every day. And that's just, you know, it's not possible. So let's let's dig into to I guess those environments. And you, you know, you articulated very nicely there that because of these time pressures that we often find ourselves in within the startup technology, high growth business environment, that there isn't a lot of time, there isn't a lot of space to bring your emotions, to bring the challenges that, I, that you're facing. What do you think the cultural impact is of environments where that is the experience? Well, I think it's, I think it's ironic, first of all, because a lot of those environments, while being this kind of high growth mentality, will also be the same spaces that tell you things like bring your whole self to work or like be your most authentic self at work. And this is rhetoric that I had never heard before <laughs> the tech startup industry. And it's directly conflicting because when we tell people that, you know, we encourage them to bring their whole selves to work, but we 
don't want to or maybe don't know how to deal with the emotional side of it, like these real raw human emotions that come with it, I think it causes a lot of problems. And I think that is something that maybe isn't directly apparent right away. Like it's very different than, you know, you know, measuring someone's velocity and seeing that drop over time. But it's kind of this feeling that seeps into kind of everything else you do. And I think that cultural impact, while it is slower and it's harder to see at the beginning, it can really affect the way people feel at work and also just the kind of, I don't know, it's like so big, the kind of environment you create. Mm. It's it's almost like they want to have the best of both worlds. They want to yes. say that they're this place where you can bring your whole self and you can be true and you, um, uh, you can be open and honest and share and talk. But at the same time, yeah, we have to, you know, ship loads of lines of code or we've got to, you know, release this product on a certain date or we've got to hit this funding round. And there's a tension between those two ideas. Exactly. And I've always had this problem with being... You know, if someone tells me, like, you can be very honest, I go into that thinking, okay, absolutely. Like, I would love to work in an environment where I can be as honest as possible, particularly with my manager, because I think that's a relationship that you really work and to build and grow over time. And I would love that. But I think every, it's sad to say, but almost every time that I've been very, very transparent, it's almost always been brought back up later, like used against me in a performance review or, you know, you take time off for mental well-being and then people are like, "Mm, but you, you take a lot of time off, like, you know, kind of comments like that. So it's hard to know. And I don't want to become like a, you know, I talk to people like my mother or something who say like, okay, why don't you just not be as honest with your employee? You know, maybe just like kind of keep a front like that. And I don't want to become jaded, but it's hard to feel like you even have the option to be honest when it's never worked out very well, I guess. <laughs> That's very honest. I'm sorry. No, it's amazing. And I, and I really appreciate it. And I think let's just sit with that for a moment. And, and if I reflect on, you know, what it's like to be on the other side of the table, I would love to say, I would love to say that in every moment I'm completely trusting and uncynical of, you know, how people are showing up to work. But, you know, there are absolutely times where I'm tired and you know, someone's have someone's having a bad, a particularly bad day, and and I can feel the voice in the back of my head saying, you know, something like, "Just can we just get on with it?" Or we just need to get this done by the end of the week. It's, and and that's really hard, and I, that's not something I like to admit because, you know, we are building an organisation which prides itself on 
making work better right that's our that's our that's our thesis our thesis is a lot of people show up to work to work they don't enjoy it we want to change that and so it's not just about our culture it's also the product we're building we're trying to build a product that that actually fundamentally changes this within organizations and even me even i who believes that so viscerally that it's so important to allow you the team member to show up and be honest even i struggle with it at times because of pressures and of outside influence um yeah if we would have had this conversation a year ago i think i would have been very i don't even know the right word aggressive i would have been very like ah oh, managers need to you know care more about this da, da, da. like i was really kind of fired up and upset with managers and i mean while i think there could be a lot more especially in tech a lot more training or kind of development like career growth into management positions rather than just promoting the best engineers i do think i have to remind myself that like managers are also humans who bring their whole self to work and while i do want them to care about my emotions i also need to kind of be aware yeah that it's a two-sided conversation in that sense and i think and managers are also always pitted as like the the villains in a lot of these stories and sometimes it's well deserved but at the same time like it should be this kind of give and take relationship i think at least yeah i think you're really i think you're right and the way i model that or try to think about that is about vulnerability mm-hmm. so i can't i you know i can't expect you to see me as a human with emotions and feelings if i don't tell you and share what those feelings and emotions are it's we you know we can't again it's this double sided coin you you cannot expect someone to behave in a certain way i can't expect you to be honest with me if i am not the same with you and actually you know having a conversation like this where we talk about you know this is what it, this is what i feel like as a manager as a people manager in my organization these are the stresses and strains i feel and these are the stresses and strains you feel when you show up to work and the things that you're bringing and actually it is about that that real two-sided conversation and creating that 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 vulnerability and i think you hit the nail on the head there where you said we need to spend more time training and developing people on how to be a great manager rather than just promoting the person that's best at the job. Yes, absolutely. And I think you know, I say like yeah, it should be this two-way thing, but I also do believe that like genuinely believe that all of this, this kind of well-being at work, creating that culture and environment that you want to be working in, it really does start with management. Like exactly what you said, like being able to model the behavior that you expect from your team, being the person instead of just saying like oh you know this topic matters actually demonstrating that it does and i think that is i mean management's hard i'm sure i've never done it but it's also a huge responsibility and i think and i don't know a lot of people can be burnt by bad managers and i think it's kind of you know everyone's like managers are the villains a lot of the times but it's at the same time like it's a responsibility that you sign on for. And I think a lot of people don't realize that when they take it. <laughs> yeah. It's a responsibility. And I, it's a gift. And I, and I, 
and I mean that in the least cor- in the least corniest way, <laughs> but but I honestly the thing I enjoy most about work is helping people, you know, develop and grow and take that next step. And if you can play a part in it, it can give you so much energy, so much joy, so much satisfaction. You know, just before we started recording, we talked about you know, alum, alumni of Charlie, you know, old temp team members that aren't with us anymore. Some we had to let go for performance reasons. Some, you know, decided to move on. All of whom, you know, many of whom will still come and see us. I still speak to people in the team are still friends with. And, you know, I, I feel like your management responsibility doesn't stop when someone leaves the building. You know, it's, you know, almost that's when the journey starts and you get to see all the things they've learned from you, all the things they've developed while they've been with you, using them in a different context, in a different environment, applying them to a different problem. And yeah, that's an, that, that's an incredible cycle to watch. So I guess what I want to understand from your perspective is, do you think over the last three, four months, as as you know, employees as a whole, as team members as a whole, as job seekers as a whole, do you think what they look for in businesses is is going to change? Because we've been through this very trying time, this very difficult time, and I'm, I am an optimist, and anyone that knows me will know that I'm definitely glass half full. But I'm also a realist, and I am definitely thinking about how we build a business and a culture that is going to be resilient for when this maybe happens again because we were not prepared for it at all. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, we interviewed the head of people from Bulb, Tom, you know, and he was talking about how well Bulb were prepared for it. You know, at Charlie, we were not that prepared for it. And I certainly played it down. And so that's from our side. Do you think on a team member side, people are out there going, right, I want to be in a business that is set up culturally well to weather this type of storm, where our emotions, our mental health, our anxiety is going to be put under a whole load more pressure. I think so. I think it can depend on the circumstances. Like, you know, if your company that you're working in handled it well, everyone you know says that their company handled it well, you might kind of be in this silo where you think, oh, okay, everyone knew what was going on. But I think for those of us who were working in organizations that weren't prepared and weren't able to kind of facilitate what at least our personal needs were, it really, I think it will. And I think there is, COVID really brought these values that companies, you know, say that they stand for to the forefront, much like the Black Lives Matter movement. It's this difference of, you know, our companies just saying that employee well-being matter, like it matters or Black Lives Matter, but are they actually willing to change their processes? Are they willing to do something that, you know, facilitates this kind of environment that they want to be creating. And I know personally, I've already been thinking about like, okay, whenever I'm in my next job hunt, how can I ask the right questions that will lead me in a way, you know, to see if it's actually the case, you know, what kind of, and I don't, I don't know what the answer is as far as like what those kind of questions would look like, because I think a lot of people would always say like, of course we handled it well, of course we did the best we can. So, but I do, to answer your question, I do think that people will need to consider it and see 
how it will fit into their next situation, I guess. Hmm. You know, from, from the experience that you've had in the different organizations you've worked in, mm-hmm. what do you think are the what do you think of the signposts? What do you think of the signs for a culture where people and their emotions are accepted? I think, and I go back to this a lot, I think a lot of it has to do with your personal relationship to your direct manager, whoever you're reporting to. I think that can really make or break an experience, like whether you see these topics in line, whether they are able to give you what you need or you're able to, and I don't think that happens naturally. Like I don't necessarily think like, okay, maybe, maybe it does. You get a manager and they just know exactly how to kind of like help you and help you grow. But I think a lot of them, you need to be able to provide a space to give that feedback and be able to, you know, get into situations of like, okay, I need this from you much like how you need this from me. Does that make sense? <laughs> yeah. Okay. It does. It it does. And what you're describing is is exactly as it should be, which is a two-way relationship. Mm-hmm. You know, and, and, and that's why I've always hated the word manager because, m- m- you know, management is this concept of telling somebody what to do, basically, in its simplest form. Mm-hmm. It describes a... A relationship where the power balance is one way, rather than rather than a relationship where we're on equal footing. And I, you know, I'm not just saying this, and I and I do believe it that the the team member leader, the team member team leader relationship, it should be one of of equalness. It should be one where the team member is as able to say to the team leader. This is what I need from you. This is what this is the honesty I want from you. This is the development I want from you. And the team leader can say the same. This is what performance we need from you. This is this is this is the these are the behaviors you want to see, right? It should be this it should be this relationship that has duality, that has honesty, that has mutually agreed ways of working. Um you know, rather than just saying this is how it is, this is what we need from you and just expecting it to be okay because all people are so different, right? We all show up in different ways. We all have different behaviors, different ways of working. It seems crazy that we would just assume that everyone we hire into our business is going to show up and fit exactly in the way that we want to see. Exactly. And I think this especially becomes very prevalent when you're dealing with these kind of raw emotions that maybe don't happen all the time at work, but do. Um, I talk a lot about like crying at work and (laughs) and I have cried many of times at work in front of many managers. And yeah, it's very clear to me in those different situations, which managers have that kind of ability to ask, ask things like, okay, what do you need from me? How can I deal with this? Or like reflecting on it later and which ones, clearly don't know how to handle it like just and kind of panic in that moment which you know it's all a a learning experience but yeah I think that's a great place to to finish and we try and finish each show with 
I guess some advice, right? You know, our mm-hmm. listeners are, are a broad group. We have founders, we have CEOs, we have heads of people, heads of HR, managers, team members, anyone that I guess is interested in the kind of intersection between culture, people, policies, and process. So, you know, what advice do you have for any leader, any people leader who is faced with raw emotion from someone within their team or within their business? What are the ways to get it right? Yeah, so this tri- this question's tricky because as we just mentioned, everyone, you know, everyone will have a different way of dealing with their emotions and a lot of it and ha- a lot of different expectations for how they want someone to respond when they're having that kind of raw emotional moment. And a lot of it will depend on, you know, your pre-existing relationship with that person. So I, part of this is coming from my lived experience. I also did back in March, a survey where about crying at work, where I had people who either cried at work or managers who have had people cry in front of them respond. I had about a thousand respondents. So a lot of this is coming from that. Um, so is it okay if I just list off some stuff? <laughs> yeah. List away. Great. So I think first of all, as I mentioned, asking someone what they need and respecting that decision. So for example, if someone is crying, you know, and they ask what they need and they say, Oh, just ignore it. Like just keep going, respect that, let them, or if they say, Oh, I just need a moment, give them that moment. Maybe they need to go home, give them that opportunity. Don't assume what people need. I had it once where I cried in front of a manager who clearly, yeah, I don't think he'd ever had that happen before. did not know what to do. And he was just like, Oh my God. Uh, okay. Yeah. Go home. Just, just leave. Just go home. Uh, drink some wine. I don't know. Go home. And to me that felt so, cause all I needed was just a few minutes to kind of collect myself and then I would have been fine. But to be so like dismissed and kind of pushed out felt worse, I guess, than anything else. Um, in addition, like don't touch the other person without asking. I think that should be a work rule in general, but I think especially in these, we've been taught, I'm from the U.S. originally, and I think we're especially kind of touchy in this sense that, you know, if someone's showing emotions, like, ah, put your hand on their shoulder, like, you know, show them, give them a hug, show them you care. And I think in a lot of, for a lot of people, that's really uncomfortable and inappropriate, but it depends on your relationship. So I would ask, um, I would say also never tell someone that they're being like too sensitive or too emotional because in the survey that I did, the most common answers for why people cry at work was because they're frustrated, sad, angry, or have a feeling of worthlessness. And I think none of these types of feelings stem from you know, overly sensitivity. These are all like deep rooted emotions that you know, they have a cause and effect. They are maybe something that is, has accumulated over time. Like while you might have an emotional reaction to something, like while something might trigger an emotional reaction, it might not be the only thing that caused that. It might be a buildup of frustration. And then I would also advise people to like, let people know that, you know, it's okay to show emotions, maybe share a story if it's appropriate, like of your own vulnerability. Because afterwards, many people feel like lonely or ashamed or embarrassed to have just done that. Even as someone who I 
talk about crying at work a lot. I make a lot of jokes. Like it does still feel really, you feel really raw afterwards. You feel really like, like exposed. So it's nice to know that, you know, it's okay. Mm. That's my kind of laundry list. <laughs> you, you said to me earlier that you're not a manager, but one day if you want it, I'm sure you will be. And um, thank you. You will be exceptional. Um, there is no doubt in my mind. I think um, I urge everyone listening to focus on that list of things because they are so true in that moment, but they're also so true in so many other situations that show up for us um, in in a working environment. So amazingly wise words. Um, I've got to say a big thank you to Carolyn for joining us today. Thank you, Carolyn. Thank you for being honest, for being open, uh, and for really bringing your full self uh, to this interview. Thanks so much. Thank you for having me. It was a pleasure. Great. Thanks so much. To Mel behind the virtual glass for keeping uh, this show on the road. To all of you listening along at home, remember, if there's an issue you'd like us to discuss, please drop us a line. I'm at Gately on Twitter, and we are at Join Charlie. We look forward to seeing you again next week. I've been Ben Branson Gately, your host, and this has been the Culture Ops Podcast.